today, what I wanted to start to do, and I'll just begin this process. I've got too many pages of notes to even think about probably being able to do it all in one hit. So I won't put you through that because that would be a shame anyway to kind of n not slow this down a little bit. I think it's an important Sunday and I think it's an important thing that I want to bring. Uh, what I really want to address is um, I want to speak about this pandemic of devastating emotional needs that is around us. Uh, mental health issues that are really now coming to the fore. And uh, it's not just because of the last two years of COVID. That's just exacerbated the situation. But really, I believe it's a result of the way we're living and how society is set up and affluence, the whole thing. Anyway, we can break all that down in future weeks. I'm sure our other speakers will have a lot to say about things like that. But it doesn't take us much to realise that people are drowning in their own dysfunctionality uh, sadness, disappointments, regrets, is that true? Do we all know people that are, that are there? Hands up if you know people, I do, I know plenty of people like that. And uh, so let's, let's pray because this season is too important and I believe it's too pivotal in all our lives and especially the lives of us as a church, the life of us as a church. All right, so let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are speaking to us and you want to make things clear to us. You want to open up our hearts. You want to break down for us what church really is and how we really can be ministering to those around us. Father, anoint our ears to hear today what it is that your spirit is saying. Help us, Lord, to understand and to comprehend. Um, and Lord, don't let anyone be offended by my stories, please, Lord, because they're offensive. And uh, the Lord, use me as the speaker. And uh, Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're going to minister today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, interestingly enough, four months ago, I, uh, I preached this on this particular scripture. I preached on several scriptures over three or four weeks, I think it was. But there's this amazing one that keeps coming to me. It continually keeps coming to me. And I want to use this as our baseline today and for, for possibly next week if, if uh, I end up speaking again next week. Isaiah 41, 17 and 18. And this is what it says. And I think this is a picture of our world. The afflicted and the needy are seeking water, but there is none. And their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them as myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. What a powerful scripture. And I spoke you know, a few months ago about you know, God was about to um, help us come into a place of rest, that we were about to have an encounter with God, that he was dismantling all of our, uh, our, our uh, uh, what do you call them, our coping mechanisms in life. Well, little did I know what was about to happen to me. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to share a little bit of something really uh, intense that happened to me. You know, this scripture is so powerful. The, the things that really stand out to me, uh, the bare heights, the valleys, the wilderness and the dry land. And when I think about the bare heights, I think this picture uh, that, is, uh, that is shown to us here and depicted here in the scriptures, to me it speaks of the highest, most exposed part to the elements. You know, when you've got the, the, the bare heights of a mountain that's, that's just raw and there's nothing else, that's the first thing that gets the storms, the winds and the rains. Well, I believe this is a picture of the greatest points uh, of our exposed pain in our, in our hearts. 
the places of greatest vulnerability, the most open, vulnerable, exposed places in our hearts. That's what I see all around me. The valleys, what does that speak to, to you about? To me, that speaks of the most hidden depths of people's despair. Hidden, invisible almost, but it's there. The despair that is in people's hearts. The wilderness, that's the place. To me, that, that's, a, that's a picture of loneliness and being alone and a picture of purposeless wandering, not knowing where to go. What does the dry land speak of? Places of no life, of no nourishment and complete barrenness. You know, we see so many suicides happening. We so, so, see so much trauma uh, coming out in people and being expressed in people. You know, we all have these kinds of needs that actually are demanding to be met in our own hearts and in the lives of those around us. And yet there's a scripture that I touched on last week that I want to highlight again today. In Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, or we could also say all these needs will be added to you. Last week I touched on that verse in the context of just what's exciting and what's happening in our church at the moment. Of a whole, it's like a whole new generation. If you haven't listened to that, that sermon last week, I actually want to encourage you to go back and listen because it summarises the last four months of the guys preaching and from, from our guys. But it's basically in the context of a new generation discovering the simplicity, the simplicity of what church really is meant to look like. And getting the revelation that seeking his kingdom and his purposes by touching other people's lives is the best investment that we can make. Um, In other words, living beyond our own, well, we could call it selfishness. Sometimes it's not selfishness. Sometimes it's just self-focused needs of life. That's all important to all of us, and that's normal. However, God points us in the right directions. The spearhead of how you need to be going forward in your life It's not with your needs, but with seeking first his kingdom, then the needs will follow. But there's another aspect of our personal needs that I want to highlight here today, and that is the emotional needs that are hammering our world. Now, it appears to be hammering our Western world more so than anything, and that has to do with a whole lot of factors. But to be honest, when I go to Indonesia, when I go to Southeast Asia, the needs are just as intense. They're just different. They're just people don't know how to express their needs. And so now what I want to start on today, I won't finish it today, but I want to encourage you to come back next week. And I want to encourage you to be praying this week for God to move in your hearts and in the hearts of those around you, because this is a moment in time. This moment is too pivotal. I need a glass of water, sorry. This moment is too pivotal for all of us. We all need to understand our world is going nuts. Has anybody else noticed? The church has gone nuts. It's almost losing her way in different nations and different places. It's, I don't know where the light of the world is anymore. I do know it's meant to be us. But even the church is losing her way because the people don't know how to deal with these things in their lives. And so I want to talk about this and I want to go deeper and broader. And I want to highlight that when... We know, when you and I know, how to seek him first in spite of our own deep emotional needs. Now, you might be sitting there going, I die. You talk about emotions all the time. You've got so many issues. You bet I have. I'm 63, guys. I've got 63 years worth of living 
that I'm now having to sort out, okay? <laughs> you know, oh, well, I'm only in my 20s or my 30s. Oh, you've got emotional needs. You just probably haven't realised yet. We've all got stuff in our lives. We've all got a soul. We've all got needs. You know, we've all got people around us. The, 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 the epidemic, uh, that's what's happening in the area of suicide and youth suicide, young adults, what do you think is leading people to that? That's, that's shattering. That's devastating. So yes, we have emotional needs. But when we learn, when we know how to seek him first in spite of our own deep emotional needs. Oh, you are the best. The best. Thank you, darling. Then those needs of freedom and deliverance are going to be met. And those needs will be added to us because that's what the scripture says. And you know what? It takes courage to actually push past pain like that. But as disciples, I believe that that's what's required of us to be able to seek first. So I'm going to give you a couple of stories that demonstrate what happens when people actually reverse this. When instead we are led by our needs, um, instead of putting God's kingdom and and then what we do is we end up putting God's kingdom and his purposes on the tail end of our focus. Now, there's a bit of a warning here. Some of these stories may offend. Uh, I think they need to offend us because if they don't offend us, then I don't think um, we're living, you're living in the same world that I'm living in. Okay, so get ready. Put your seatbelts on. Uh, you got to remember, I didn't get saved till I was 19. So I didn't grow up in this little pristine kind of church bubble like Abby and Carvin and... <laughs> And say, no, you're, you are a bad example. Or Josh, I oh, know he's a bad example too. But I didn't grow up like that, okay? So I'm not afraid at all of things. So anyway, a few weeks ago, you heard me talk very briefly about a guy in Bali. Well, let me tell you the, the, real, the story that really happened. So basically, I'll repeat it again. As we went to the happy hour as a member of this place that we, we've been going to for 44 years, can you believe it, uh, Brahm and I, since we were boyfriend and girlfriend, um, there was a, a guy there, a 74, 76-year-old Aussie guy, and when I walked up, I don't think he realised that Brahm was my husband or that was he, he was with me, he walked up to me from behind me and said, oh, I've got a confession to make to you. He said, I nearly hit you on the backside at breakfast this morning because I thought you were my daughter. And I looked at him, I mean, I'm 63, I'm thinking, your daughter? I mean... What the heck have you... And uh, anyway, so um, you should have seen Brahm's face at that point. Like, seriously. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that the um, Kung Fu didn't come out straight away. But anyway, uh, because his immediate response was to protect me. I mean, another time a guy in in one of the hotels in in Ayola Hotel in Chikarang, we were just sitting there. Who was there with... Were you there? And this guy... There was a whole group of people that came in for lunch and this this young guy lined up and he... I can't even remember what he said. He said something really rude to me, didn't he? I was just sitting there with Brahm and Dan. I can't remember who else. When I told Brahm, literally Brahm, he went into you know, protector mode, like he's been watching too many movies. He got straight up and in front of the whole restaurant. He pretty much went a shirt front of this guy and took him on. And do you remember? And it was hilarious. And like, to be honest, every good husband should be like that, to protect their, their wives, right? Their dignity. Yeah? However. I was listening to this guy, and he said a few offensive things as the, as the evening wore on, and, and some things that even the other group, people in the group, you could tell they were quite offended by. But you know what I found out about this man? I found out that this man had lost his wife 20 years prior. 
that if that she found out she was sick with cancer in that particular when she was at that hotel place to the point that they had erected a plaque for her after she because she died. And uh, this man was grieving, grieving deeply. And I could actually see it in his face. I could see the sadness in his face. And I stood there listening to this man. I know Brown was doing his Mr. Protection mode, which is, was hilarious. But, you know, I, like, I can protect myself, but he was protecting my dignity. And, uh, and, uh, but I just wanted to talk to this man and find out what, find out what made him tick. And it turned out that this guy is grieving. And yet he, you know, taught, he mouthed off and said a whole lot of stuff that he shouldn't have said. And it was obvious he was living a life of too much drinking and, and chasing you know, women around and all sorts of things in Bali. Um, but really he was seeking his needs there. He was putting his needs first. He was putting his needs before even seeking God because actually he didn't know how to seek God. All right, so my heart goes out to people like that. I go after them. I, I, I get this look in my face and I want to get to the bottom of their hearts because I know that Jesus can touch their lives and minister to him and set him free. All right, but I could see the sadness in his face. I didn't get offended by it uh, because I just, I think, no, you're just, you're just saying what other people think, but you just don't have the self-control to, to, to hold it in. But it's only the fruit of something way deeper in your life. All right, so that's one story. The second story. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Um, so I get quite a few phone calls. Who else gets phone calls from people that say they're from Telstra? And they're not from Telstra. Yeah, we all, anyone else? Anyway, I get really sick of it because this guy rings me up and goes, hi, I'm from, I'm from Telstra and your Wi-Fi's not working. And, and when I, I, I used to say, okay, so what's my name? What's my address? Because I got really confused until it dawned on me, oh, my Wi-Fi or my in internet, sorry, is not connected to Telstra. So one day, I was, I, was, <laughs> I was not connected to Telstra. So this guy rings me and he says, and I get in these moods, right? Like I, get really, I try and have a battle with these people on the phone. And so he goes, so, you know, I'm just letting you know, da, 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 da. And I said, okay, so what's my name and my address? And he goes... Uh, and he goes, no, you give me your name. I said, no, no, you tell me what my name and my address is. And he, and he got really, all of a sudden he went from really Mr. Nice Guy to Mr. Horrible Guy. And he goes, your name is effing idiot. Okay. And I just instantly said back, oh, I thought that was your name. <laughs> Remember, I didn't get saved till I was 19, okay? <laughs> anyway, he hung up on me. And then another month later, a woman rings me. She's all nice. Oh, hi, I'm from Telstra. And, I, and she goes, so what's your name? And I said, no, you tell me, because now I'm getting attitude. No, you tell me my name. And she goes, oh, your name is effing stupid. And she says the same thing. And I said, I, I came back because I thought it was a pretty good line, actually. And I said, oh, I thought that was your name. And so she hung up on me again. Now, the third guy rings me another month or two later. And he says, hello, madam. I'm ringing from Telstra. And da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, what is your name? And I said to him, so what is my name and my address? And this guy's a smart aleck. Okay, I'll say it nicely. He goes, oh, you don't know your own address? And I said, oh, well, what's my name? And he said the same thing. He says, your name is an idiot. And he's really angry with me. And, and I said, and I had enough of this, right? I'd actually had enough of all this stuff because I'm trying to push them away so they won't keep ringing me. 
because I don't know the numbers when they ring me. And I said, you know you're speaking to a pastor. And you know what he said to me? Are you ready? This is going to offend pretty much everyone here. He said, oh, pastors don't F, okay? Now, before you all fall off your chairs, I hope you realise you're living in the same world that I'm living in. If we live in a little Christian church bubble, we may not hear this kind of stuff. I hear this everywhere I go. All right, this is how people talk. Man, the amount of tradespeople that I've had come to the house say stuff that they shouldn't say, it's, it's crazy, but it doesn't matter. So at that point, now, if I was all religious and all, oh, how dare you say that to me, I would have hung up on him. But instead, this motherly kind of deep compassion came over me. And you know what? I said to him, what? And I started walking around the house. When I get in this mode, I walk up and down the passage, in the bedroom, around the other bedroom, through the bathroom, down the thing, down, around the thing. Brahms is sitting on the couch watching me and I'm going, what happened in your life to make you so bitter? I asked this guy. And, and I said, you know, that you are a, no, what did I say? I said, you're, what sort of a job are you doing where you have, to, you have to deceive and lie to people? And I just began to give it to him like a good mother would. What other mothers would have said exactly that? And I said, you know, you are a better man than this. Why are you doing a stupid job like this where you're scamming people and you're swearing at people and you're being, I'm a pastor and you don't talk to people like that. I said, what happened in your life that made you so bitter? Went complete silence. And then he goes, and this whole voice says, he goes, it's poverty, ma'am. He said, and I said, all right, why? He says, well, I've grown up in Pakistan and I'm very poor. And I'm, I'm thinking, that's a load of garbage. I think my husband grew up in poverty worse than you. You know, <laughs> Brahm, as a young boy, lived in a hovel where the toilet system broke down and his poor mother, who's this beautiful woman, Christian intercessor, could not use their toilet. So you know what Brahm had to, This is how poor they were. This is in the Ambon, in the, in the, in, in the Maluku Islands in, 19, in the 1940s. Brahm would have to t- escort his mother down to the ocean in the dark to protect her while she went to the toilet in the ocean. Now, I'm thinking all this, as this guy is saying to me, Oh, poor me, it's poverty that's made me this way, okay? And I'm thinking of the man of character that I live with, the man of character who leads us, and I'm thinking he's lived in poverty way worse than anyone I know, okay? And I said, no, that's no excuse. And I just gave it to him. I just started ministering to this guy. And uh, I said, you know what? You know what you need to do? I said, you need to pray to Jesus. And he said, I tried that. I said, really, when do you go to church? He said, I went to a church, a Catholic church when I was six years old and I tried to pray to Jesus, but it didn't work. I said, well, we're gonna pray now. I said, I'm gonna pray for you right now. And I said, what's your name, Stephen? I'm like, your name isn't Stephen, but that's okay. (laughs) Like, I just had enough of this kid, you know. (laughs) And so I began to pray for him. And I prayed for God to minister to him. I prayed that he would find a church. And I prayed that God would, would, would speak to him and lead him to himself. Anyway, I left the phone call and hung up. Do you know what? Five minutes later, he rang back twice. And he rang back 
And, uh, he, and, he, and I didn't pick up. And then he rang back again and I picked up and he goes, hello, hello, okay, it's Stephen here, but my real name isn't Stephen. I said, oh, really? And he gave me his real name. He said, I like you praying for me. Can I please ring you up every week and you can pray for me? And I said, sure. Now, you know, I was taught... I grew up in a Christian atmosphere that said, you don't talk about stuff like this from the pulpit. The pulpit is holy, and you don't say these kind of things. I, I struggle with giving this story today, but you know the realisation I've come to? I've, come to the, I've learned that people's homes are my pulpit, that the beach is my pulpit, that my neighbourhood is my pulpit, my phone is my pulpit. In fact, my very life is my pulpit. And, uh, you know, when you and I make a quality decision to walk a tough journey of seeking first the kingdom, and we discover and prove his faithfulness in that journey, we can easily lead others there too, regardless of their behaviour. So we have to learn to fight for what God has given to us so that we can then teach other people how to fight. And on that day, I ministered to that guy and I led him somewhere. So that I've left him now. I don't know where he is in Pakistan, but I've left him with the truth. I've left him with a touch of the anointing to the point that he rang back twice to get something from me. Now, I want to briefly touch on my testimony and we're not going to get very far today because uh, we won't because it's been a long service already. But I'm going to come back next week and we're going to, we're going to talk some more. All right, but you know, I, I've learned and I know and I can see when we talk about the bare heights in people's lives, when we talk about the deep valleys in people's lives, when we talk about the wilderness and the dry lands in people's lives, I feel like I can understand that. I, I know what it's like. You know, I've been through a very intense season um, where approximately Four months ago, my life was completely upended. And uh, it turned out there was deep, unresolved, compounding kind of grief that, um, well, trauma really, that triggered this intense episode of amnesia. Sounds really intense, but it, and it was intense. And there's a, uh, not biblical, there's a medical name for it. And uh, I was taken to hospital. And now I've got 14 hours of that particular day that the doctor told me will always be a black hole. I'll never get my memories back. My brain stopped making memories in that day due to the trauma and uh, that was triggered. Uh, to the point Brian was so concerned, he called Carvin to the house. I don't remember Carvin being there. Carvin apparently sat on the couch with his arm around me like a son to a mother and just comforting me. I don't remember any of it. I don't remember the ambulance coming. I don't remember Bram ringing Bernadette. I don't remember being taken to the hospital. <clears throat> I don't remember that I asked a series of nine questions over and over. And just when we'd get to the end, I'd go back to the first question again. Can you imagine what that was like for Bram to witness that? And, uh, you know, I had a CAT scan, I had an MRI scan, and everything was clear. There was nothing wrong. It didn't have a stroke. There was nothing wrong. It was all based on a, an incident that involved very, very deep trauma. And uh, it was almost like God took this unseen innermost thread of my childhood life and just kind of pulled it. And it was a thread that I didn't actually even know existed. And I, I pretty much unraveled. It was a very scary, or it's been a very scary place to be in. A very un, it's like uncharted waters. It's, it's, uh, it's mental health. I didn't even know it was there. And, uh, 
you might be thinking, why are you talking about this? You're a pastor. You know what? I don't care. Yeah. We're going to talk about that next week. The toxic culture that has produced people like Brian Houston, who can't talk about what he's going through. And uh, just pastors all over the world. There's such a toxic culture that we've yeah. built in Christianity yeah. that does not provide a road out and a way out for us to be truthful and vulnerable and honest. Now, I have nothing to do with Brian. I know Brian personally um, from many years ago. I think he's a nice guy, but I do not know and I won't judge anything that's going on with their church because I don't know. None of us actually know. We can read all the stuff on the internet, but none of us really know. However, I can judge the culture, the church culture, that is broader than Hillsong, that is in America, it's in Indonesia. There's a particular church culture that does not encourage authenticity and, and, and reliance. And uh, it, it breeds something. So it's a breeding ground for, for chaos and, and, and devastation in leaders' lives, to be perfectly honest. I could, go, I could give you story after story after story after story. Senior pastors. Uh, one guy leading a huge church here in Australia somewhere. <clears throat> was so drunk one night, he came down the front, vomited at the front, everyone thought it was blood, but it was, it was red wine. And all the eldership covered it all up, and, and it all, what happened was there was this deep trauma in his life from when he was a, a child that had never been dealt with because church culture says, no, you've got to be perfect, okay? And so we're going to unpack all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's pretty much what happened to me, and, and so I understand the bare heights of emotional pain <laughs> and exposure of the rawest kind of pain. I know the depths of the valleys of sadness and confusion. And uh, I, get, I get what it's like to feel barren and dry, feeling like I'm in a wilderness and I've got nothing left to give. I haven't been able to preach these last four months. I grasp the need for streams to flood through my own grief-stricken heart. This is serious stuff. You know, it's really interesting now as I get older and I realise that older people often start to get flashbacks of their childhood and their regrets and things. You know, I had a, another 70-odd-year-old guy come and do some stuff at our house and we got talking and he talks about how now he starts to wake up in the middle of the night and remembering things he did as a 14-year-old and regrets it. And I said, yeah, that's... That's pretty much what psychologists call the grieving hour. Your brain is trying to process stuff, but you keep waking up because you, you, it's unfinished and unresolved grief. How do I know that? Because that's what I went through, and I had to learn that the hard way. You know, this is, this is serious stuff, that unless we know how to seek first the kingdom, not only will our needs not be met, but we won't know how to point other people to their needs being met either. Okay? So... In my weakness, <laughs> unlike the perception that many might have to have that somehow like we were just, I was just alluding to that we have to be some super apostle, you know, Paul talks about that, or we have to be some incredible leader in this journey. But now I truly know that in my weakness, he will always and will always be the strong one. I am finally learning what that scripture says that I will glory in my weakness. 2 Corinthians 11.30 says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Wow. Who's heard that preached lately in modern-day Christianity? I haven't. I'm living it. I'm living that. 
But you know what? We don't have to be ashamed because listen to this in 2 Corinthians 12. This is Paul saying this 8 to 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Wow. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. We're talking about personal weaknesses here. Our own mental health. Our own, I mean, we, we, we call it, that's just modern day terminology for what Paul is saying. Okay? Areas that we struggle with. You know, yes, we're born again. Our spirit is made in the image of God. But we have a soul and we live in a body. And our soul is an accumulation of all the mindsets and all the memories and things, preconditioned things that we've had since childhood. That's what we learn in DMS. But he goes on to say, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so it's okay now not to be the strong, responsible one. This is me, right? I've also learned... And I understand now what it means to lean on other people, to lean on, on one another. Just because I'm a senior pastor, just because we lead a couple of churches, doesn't make, make, make any difference. I've allowed others into that space of pain. Yeah. You know, the group of guys you've been seeing preaching up here and leading worship, they've known. Brian rang them straight away. They all know exactly what I've gone through. He explained probably that and even more to them. And they stepped up and loved me so much and loved Brahm so much that they took on the mantle of preaching and my goodness, aren't we thankful that they did? You know, they stepped past their own needs and they sought first the kingdom of heaven by looking after me. And now look, what, look what's happening to them. I've learned what it is to, to step into that of watching other people bear one another's burdens. They've borne our burdens and watching Brahm do exactly the same thing. And I've experienced the healing power that comes through that. You know, I didn't shut myself off. I didn't shut myself down. Of course, I didn't go and preach it to you all in the first week that it happened. I've had to get and process this to a point that I could actually share this without falling into a blubbering heap, okay? But I stand here today as a testament to the goodness of God that when we seek first the kingdom, he meets those needs, okay? So, you know, I didn't know how to escape the compounding grief of so many years. That was my need. But in my wrestling, and I'm going to finish off on this point, okay, or just in these last few thoughts. But in my wrestling, I discovered that seeking him first, letting go of my own strength to, to, you know, have it all together, and throwing myself wholly on him meant that he could now take the lead. And uh, he got me out of it in the most unexpected way. You know, Acts 14.22 says this, that through many, in fact, it was the, the disciples were strengthening, the leaders were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, remember, Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Well, when we seek first the kingdom of heaven, we're going to go through many tribulations to get there. And we all have to wrestle. All of us have to wrestle at different levels. But in the wrestling, we've got to let him be in charge of the victory. Uh, he knows how to do this. He knows what is best. He knows the true root in our lives. And only he knows how to minister to that place. He knows how to open up the rivers on the bare heights of our hearts. He knows how to flood the valleys with waters. He knows how to flood the wilderness 
with water. He knows, guys. He knows how to touch us. He knows how to put a fountain in the desert of dryness in our hearts. So my strength now is not in how emotionally resilient and tough I am. I tried that for 63 years. And all of my coping mechanisms that I preached the week before, that God was going to get rid of them. And remember, if you go back and listen, you'll hear me say, you know what, sometimes i found that I actually have to walk out what I preach. <laughs> we can laugh about it now, but it's been the most devastating, soul-excavating thing of my life. My strength now is in my utter reliance on his power to use me in spite of my emotional weakness. Okay, remember, it says in the scripture I read before, the afflicted and the needy are seeking water, but there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. He does this. He knows how to do this, guys. And then you and I can truly say that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 48, uh, 38, 40, sorry, Psalm 34, 8 says this, I'll taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's not someone who's conquering in life and, you know, leading the pack and got it all together. No, our strength is in us taking refuge in him. I had had all this kind of deep pain in my heart just come to the surface. I didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't choose for it to happen. I didn't know it was there for it to happen. But you don't just suddenly get amnesia for 14 hours. Your brain doesn't just suddenly stop creating memories because you know, you've had a tough morning. That's, that's an expression of deep trauma. But I've tasted and I've seen that when he is my refuge, he meets me on the barest heights of my emotional needs, the depths of my hopelessness and every season that I go through. And when we experience healing, we become healers. And you know what? I want to finish with these, these last few thoughts. My healing and my freedom always comes when I seek first his purpose, when I seek his kingdom, when I seek the purpose that God has for his people and their needs. Because then he, it's like when I do that, all my needs, everything that I need, it follows me. They come after me. You know, that's how it works. What does it say in Psalm 23? That goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I don't have to go pursuing goodness and mercy. I just have to pursue his kingdom and his people and his focus and ministering to those around me. And guess what? Goodness and mercy will deliver me and set me free and heal me. All right? So... If I know how to seek him first and lift up my eyes and see him, we heard about that in the last few months with the sermons, see him and find him, then I also know how to lead someone else there. I can be so comfortable and fearless in that space when I've already been there. I can point someone else there. All right, so I I want us to pray in a minute. And that's just the beginning. I just wanted to lay a bit of a foundation for I believe where we're heading I want to see God do some work in our lives yeah. and I want our hearts to hear this is everywhere around us it's it's in this room we come to church we put on our faces we put on our facades you know I, I know what that feels like I know what that looks like because we want to be strong we think that's the right thing to do 
But what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to move and breaks down those facades and we actually begin to be vulnerable and transparent and authentic? What happens when we actually learn what it's like to lean on one another and learn that I can glory, I can glory in my weakness. In my weakness, he is actually strong. You know, I went through a moment where the pain in my heart was so bad. It was so bad I couldn't sleep. It was so bad. I'm saying it's like I was unraveled from the inside out. And we're not just talking about grief of the last 10 years. That was just kind of like the icing on the cake. We're talking about a lifetime of stuff that God brought to the surface. And... uh, and it was so bad and, and I began to regret so many things and, and I put the Bible on at 2 o'clock in the morning and I listened to all of 2 Corinthians and in my half sleep God began to minister to me these very principles. And I began to realise, yeah, all those times that I thought I was so pathetic and so weak, he still used me. He was still strong in me. But it doesn't finish here. We're going to go forward. And we're going to see what God is going to do because I believe God wants to open up rivers on the bare heights. He wants to pour water in the valleys. He wants to bring fountains into the wildernesses of our lives, not just in ours but in others. And if we know how to access that for ourselves, we are going to become a powerful bunch of people who find our pulpits in our workplace, who find our pulpits on the phone when we ring a friend like Sam told us a few weeks ago just find 10 minutes in your week to ring someone and we'll begin to minister and we'll know when, they, when we see the needs in their lives we'll think okay I know how to take you somewhere I know how to point you in the direction where you can learn how to seek first his kingdom I'm going to ask the music team to come up and uh, we're just going to just minister in the background but I, I'd like us just to pray actually and I think let's, let's be healers. Um, let's have the attitude that we're going to be healers this week. Now, this might stir up some stuff in people here today. I actually don't want to do an altar call. I don't, I, we might do that next week. We'll see. I actually want us to ponder on all of this. If you are offended by my stories, then we're going to speak about that next week and why these things offend us. They shouldn't offend us. This is the world we live in. You just have to turn the television on. You'll get it on every second word. You'll get this offensive language. You hear it anywhere and everywhere. But you know what? We've got to learn to look behind that. We've got to look beyond that and see people's pain and why they do the things that they do. So let's just pray. And uh, we're going to... You, you guys start to do a song. Let's just, just do anything. And let's just pray. I want to I pray because, like I said, next week I want to talk about the toxic culture that we've bred, that we've allowed to breed in in church life that's created this performance-oriented sort of I-have-to-have-it-all-together kind of person. And it's all coming, smashing down. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We need one another. We are living stones connected to one another. So let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the powerful work that you're doing in our lives. I thank you, God, for the powerful work you've done in mine and are continuing to do in mine. Lord, I thank you, God, that I can glory in my weakness. I thank you, God, that I can even stand here today and speak about this without crying, without uh, getting emotional, Lord, because I know that when I, as I've sought you, Father, in my deepest 
hour of need, Father. You have met those needs, Father. You've set me free. You've healed me, Lord. You've put my feet upon a rock, Lord. I know what it is to stand and see that you are my covering, that you are my grace, you are my refuge. Lord, I just love you and I worship you so much, Father. I pray for every single one here. Lord, we all know people who are going through things. We all know, even in our own hearts, there are things that we hide and things that we're struggling with. I pray, Father, that today we would push through and that we would seek first your kingdom, Lord, knowing that even our emotional needs will be met by you, Father. I trust you, Lord Jesus. You're everything we need. You are everything we need, Lord. Jesus, you are all we need. You're all that guy in Bali needed, Lord. You're all that that, that Pakistani guy on the phone. Jesus, you're all he needed. Father, thank you, Lord, for breaking down the wall of his ugly, offensive behaviour to me, Father. His, his ugly language and what he was saying to me, Lord. Thank you that your arm of love reached out beyond all of that and touched the deep need in his heart, where he felt like when he'd prayed to you before, nothing changed. Lord, I thank you, Father, that even now, he may be going to church and he may be looking to you. Father, no one is irredeemable. No one is beyond redemption. No one is beyond salvation, Father. Father, we want to be a church that knows what it is to look beyond the bad and ugly behaviour of other people. Father, and reach into their hearts and say, I know a Saviour and I know someone who can look after you and minister to your needs. I know someone who will lead you and guide you and give you the love and the grace that you need. I know someone. His name is Jesus. I've needed Him. And because He's helped me, I know He will help you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's just stand and let's just sing this song. And then, you know what? If you want to get into groups of two or three and just kind of find people after the service and pray pray together and just ask God to minister, okay? If If you feel stirred up, lean on one another. Okay, let's just sing this song. Thank you, Father.